We've been culturally conditioned to speak before we listen. But listen up, church, while I address this broken system. The education in Detroit startles me. Did you know 93% of students can barely read? That is an outrage. This is a tragedy. It's in our backyard. It's our community. Detroit schools are ranked the worst in the nation. We're building jails and arenas, but we don't build on education. Our kids don't even have the basics. We need to change this generation. This truth can be denied, but not avoided. It's sad to say there's more facts to this story. Around the world, many girls want to learn, but they're denied that gift just because they're a woman. And it's the root of many problems because people perish for a lack of knowledge. It's time to say enough is enough. Help our kids soar, show our kids love. See, education is a seed that will grow to a force if a person learns to read. But we need to be the seed planners. We need to go all in and set standards. just thank Julian one more time. I think I saw you sitting way back there. You sitting back there still? Stand up, Julian. This is Julian. Thank you for doing those spoken words. Julian wrote those, and uh, we had a video crew record them. Well done, Julian. Well done. Hey, so the idea of impact, we do this every year, is uh, everything gears towards today and the next few weeks where we take up an offering uh, and we basically give that money to our ministry partners. Ministry partners, uh, if you think about the education system that Julian just talked about, like SOAR, teaching every willing third grader to read at or above grade level in Detroit. Uh, these are partners that we are excited to uh, lock arms with, not just here, but around the world. And so uh, you're going to be asked near the end of the service to uh, give or to pledge to give, and the goal is to raise $300,000 for that. So we've been spending the last three weeks talking about missions, and my hope has been uh, that it's not just what we do corporately, but that you've been stirred even individually, that there's, a, there's an application for you as you live out your life in your community and in your home and in your neighborhood, and there's an application for us uh, broader than that. I, that and then, you know, the other part of the whole series is that I'm hoping that it draws you in and gets you excited about what we get to be a part of, what we get to invest in. I want to recap just a little bit of what I've talked about, uh, just because it, it's, it's kind of a thread that runs throughout the whole thing. But we saw uh, from the words of Jesus that you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I talked about how the implications of that statement probably go a lot further than we may realize, that we've probably read that you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free as an evangelism sort of statement. When you know Jesus, you're set free from sin, and you have eternal life, and that's all true, but it goes beyond that. And so we talked about the two statements, God is and I am. And what we said was, if we can pull that slide up, not that one, God is, I am. We'll get to the giving later. You can write that down. Anyway... 
I don't know what's going on back there. God is, I am. And the, and the whole premise is how you fill in that blank, God is, I am, really determines all of your responses in life. It determines when you are agitated. It determines when you are at peace. It determines when there's conflict in your life. When you come to a place where you understand more and more who God is, right, that creates a sense of freedom. It brings freedom in your life. And when that blank is anything other than the truth, it creates bondage in your life. If you believe that God is a taskmaster or that God is just angry at you, it will create all kinds of problems. But it goes further than that because what you believe about yourself has the same effect. So the, the answer to those two questions is a lifelong journey. We are always digging in and sinking into those two questions. Who is God and who am I? And like I said, if you were here for the Big Bang, Big Bang thing is that truth is freedom and anything other than the truth becomes bondage in our lives, okay? So that's kind of a thread that runs throughout the, the entire series that we've been talking about. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself determines all of your responses and your behaviors. And what I wanna do today is I kinda wanna share a, a bit of my own journey over the last few months and really more than that, but, but God has brought me back to this this, this thought, if you will, that's been a key to um, experiencing joy. And it's a lesson that God taught me a long time ago, but somehow I maybe have uh, not held on to it as well as I could. And, and so he's brought it back, and it's been so front and center that I just feel like it's the, the message for us today. So we started at the beginning of 2018. I think if you were here, you'll remember this, with something called the One Word Challenge. You remember that? The idea was that, that if you would pray and ask God for one word, instead of a whole list of New Year's resolutions that you may or may not be able to keep, probably more likely may not, if you're like most of us, what if you just asked God for one word, and then that word became central to what you wanted to have uh, become part of your DNA, if you will, over the next 12 months. So many of you wrote your words, and we stuck them on the board, and, and it was a great thing, right? And we're gonna do the one word challenge again this year. And the idea was, Talk about the one word with one another. Share it in your C group. Have people in your life that are asking you, how are you doing with whatever your word is? And it would help us to have conversations of meaning with one another and, and study the word. Go and look at the scriptures. What does the scripture say about that particular word that God has given you? All right, so we're gonna do that again. I love what Meg said last year. It's kind of stuck with me, is that rather than just grabbing a word, why don't you pray about it and let the word find you? If the word comes quickly and it seems easy, chances are that's not the word, because God's going to challenge you in this. So, so we're going to go do, get into that again. Good time to start praying about it. But I say all this to say because uh, for 2018, my word was joy. My word is joy. And um, if I were to give myself a grade, I would probably give myself a C or maybe even a, a C minus, which when I was in school was a good thing for me, but... <laughs> That's another story for another sermon. But the fact of the matter is, I haven't done great at this. It's been uh, really an up and down journey for me. And there have been seasons where it's been really hard for me to access joy. Even though I knew, even though I, that word was still front and center, it's just been a real battle. And I think it's been a battle because it's a battle. Like, when I chose that word, I think that's when Satan said, okay, you want to have joy, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you don't have joy, right? And so there's this, this word or these words that I've, that I've taken hold of in the last couple months that have kind of reinstilled a, a sense of 
joy. If I were to give myself a grade over the last six weeks, I might be closer to a B than a C minus. So we're moving in the right direction. Why, thank you. That's, that's, that's what I was looking for, a little affirmation. Keep me on the track. But anyway, so I, I feel God is nudging me to share this, this revelation with you, and I think it has huge application to impact as well. So that's, that's why we're going where we're going. It seems kind of simple, but if you sink into it, it's going to have major impact in your life. I'll tell you what this epiphany is in, in just a minute, but what I'd rather do is read a, a biblical passage for you and then talk about uh, how we can see this epiphany in the people in this passage. So open your Bibles and turn to Acts, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, so New Testament, chapter five. And I just encourage you to keep your Bible open to five. I'm gonna do it a little bit differently. I'm not gonna read the entire passage. I'm just gonna teach through it. And so I'll be highlighting different verses as we go along. So just keep it open right there to Acts five. And then as I call it out, you'll be able to find the verse and read along with me. But these are the months immediately following the church being launched. Jesus has is, is, is come, he's, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended, and he's sent the Holy Spirit. And now the church is is exploding, if you will. The Holy Spirit is moving and there's all kinds of miracles happening and, and the apostles are teaching and we read multiple times that thousands were added to their numbers. So the church is just growing and, and, and amazing things are happening. But at the same time, people are rising up to oppose this movement that God is doing. Anytime God moves in a powerful way, there is going to be opposition to that, at least as long as we're in this world and, and Satan exists and there's somebody who's fighting against us. So just know that, that this is kind of rising up. The religious leaders are getting greatly disturbed, Acts 4 tells us, and that they're, they're disturbed because what's happening is they're losing power and they're losing influence. That's really why they crucified Jesus, because they were losing power and influence, and they wanted to hold on to their power. So we get to Acts 5, verse 17, and it says that the high priest rose up, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. What were they jealous about? They were jealous about all of the people turning and following the apostles instead of following again. Again, they're, they're losing their influence, and they become jealous of this. And so in their jealousy and anger, they have the apostles arrested, and they put him in jail. You can read this whole story in detail, but I need for the sake of time just to kind of take you through the highlight. That night as they're in jail, an angel comes and lets them out of jail, which we read those like, crazy? Like you just read it like, oh, cool, an angel showed up and let him out of jail. No, <laughs> never happened to me anyway. So just think about it for a minute. It's so easy for us to read these stories and not grasp what's really going on, not really uh, you know, I said it last night even, like the, the wonder, the amazement of the story, like you really have to enter into it to, to get it. Now, here's what I want you to think about. It was just a few months prior that they watched Jesus experience the most brutal execution in human history, right? They were eyewitnesses to the beating. They were eyewitnesses to the cross, Right? They, had, they had seen what had happened to Jesus. So if you had watched that in recent months and the same people arrested you, what do you think would be going through your mind? Yikes. Right? I, I'm sure, no question in my mind, that they were thinking, wow, this could happen to me too. 
right? And I just want you to hold on to that because that says a lot about how they respond and what they, what, they, what they do. So, right, I don't think there's any way that you could get away from that mindset of, okay, well, we know what happened to Jesus and maybe it's gonna happen to us as well. As a matter of fact, if you know church history, it ends up happening to many of the apostles. All but one end up being executed by the time they get to this. But you get to verse 20, and the, they, remember the angel has come and they've let him out of prison and then it says that the angel said to them after their miraculous escape, verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak the next morning and they began to teach. Now I read that and I think, I'm not sure I could do that. Right, with all of that in my mind, I might have been a little more uh, argumentative, right? Well. Are you sure that's what you want me to do? This doesn't seem like a very safe thing for me to do. But they do, right? These cats are pretty brave dudes. It's a big deal. So the religious leaders arrest them again. They ask them why they disobey their orders, and you get to Acts 5, 29, and they say, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, it doesn't matter what you say. We're gonna do what God tells us to do. So the religious leaders are furious. Jump down to verse 40. We're going to read through verse 42, and it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is one of those examples that is so easy to read and miss what's really going on. This is uh, what's called a flagrum, and I made it. It's not a real one, because I don't really have a real one. Uh, this is what they were beaten with. that uh, has lots of names, um, but they would create a whip, and they would always affix something on the end that was heavy, a lot of times it was bone, which is what this is. Sometimes it was heavy stone. Sometimes it was metal or iron ores. Whatever they could find that was heavy enough and jagged enough that it would create deep bruising and deep lacerations, right? So if you look at the NIV, it says they were flogged. This is what was used on Jesus. This is what was used on those disciples, right? And I don't show you this because I'm trying to be morbid. I just want you to enter into their story a little bit. I don't know how many times they were whipped. It doesn't really matter because a couple good blows with this and I'd be done, right? Was it 20? Was it 30? Deep wounds, deep bruises. The bruises were intended to, to just knock the sense out of the person who was being whipped, right? This is what happened to them. And they did not cease what they were doing. But look at what it says, verse 41. They left the presence of the council, insert after being flogged, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name here is Jesus. When I read this, I read, they left their beating with joy. They left the beating with joy. I've had some up and downs this year, but not this down, <laughs> right? I've journeyed through some, some valleys in 2018, but, but nothing like this. These men rise above their circumstances and they rejoice. 
And the key to their rejoicing is found in the second part of verse 41, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to. Rejoicing because they were actually allowed to do it. And here's the key, here's the revelation that God has given me that's, that's had such a big impact in my life. And what I wanna challenge you to, that we need to learn to live and operate out of a posture of get to rather than have to. Get to versus have to. The disciples rejoiced because they got to suffer, not because they had to suffer. Imagine how different their response would have been if they were in a have-to mode. It would have been a, a situation of, of, God, you know, we do all this for you and, and we have to go through all this and, and, and it would have created bitterness in their spirit and it would have created this sense of, of, of why me and, and all that I have to do, but they don't. They have this posture of we are counted worthy to actually suffer for Jesus. We get to take a beating in the name of Jesus. This is very similar to what I said last week when I was uh, talking about the, the, the fact that it's, it, we need to do things out of beauty, not duty. Right? Duty has a different sort of feel to it, but when we are motivated by the invitation, right, the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. But don't miss this. You can say yes to the invitations of God and still miss out on what God has for you. Because if the invitation becomes an invitation of duty, and okay, God, if I have to do this, I'm gonna do it, but I really don't wanna do it, everything will change, and, and you'll miss out on what God has for you in the, in the life-giving that he wants to give you through the calling and the invitation. One posture sucks the life out of you, and the other gives us life. We can do what God is calling us to do out of duty and miss out on what he has for us in the process. I think this is, I think this is what makes King David so different. So you guys remember King David, right? What did they say about King David? He was a man after God's own heart. And so David never approached the sacrifices and he never approached obedience as a duty. He approached it as a way of experiencing God, I get to bring sacrifices to God and I get to experience God and learn who God is and know God more. It was a privilege, it was an invitation, not a duty. And as soon as the law became duty, things fell apart. We saw that last week when we looked at Isaiah 58, right? That there's a way of, of doing everything that God is calling you to do, doing it for the wrong reason because you have to and missing out and not realizing that it's a privilege that you get to. The posture of get to and have to will begin to change every experience in your life. I know it sounds simple, but it will. Parenting a child, even through the toughest situations, changes when you recognize that God has given you this privilege of raising up a, a young person, of pouring into their, their lives, right? I get to walk with this child is very different than, oh, I have to put up with this brat again. Not that anybody's ever said that. <laughs> Radically different posture. So I wanna just kinda get real with you for a minute and share 
a critical breakthrough in my own life because it, it, it helps to, to make sense of this. And uh, I spent the first decade of my life working in full-time ministry, uh, just to be honest with you, just with a real sense that this is a pain and it's a burden. Like, this is hard. So it was, it was a have to. God called me into ministry. I don't really have a choice, and I have to do it. It means every sacrifice that came my way, every difficulty, uh, just sucked the life out of me. But there was a moment in time, it was almost 10 years ago, it'll be 10 years in March, I think, um, a good friend of mine passed away in the line of duty. A lot of you knew Paul. Um, but it was on this stage doing Paul's funeral that God made it clear to me that this is not a burden, it's a privilege. That I get to walk with people through the hardest times of their lives, not as a burden, but as a privilege. I think I was the last person that got to really serve Paul Soros at his funeral and walking through the grief with his, with his widow. and It's an honor, not a privilege. Now, I know that sounds simple, but I can tell you that was a life-changing moment for me where realizing that being a pastor isn't a burden, it's a privilege. Whatever God has called you to, if you recognize it as a privilege and not a burden, it will change everything about the way you go after it. And if it feels like God has had to bring me full circle and right back to that lesson 10 years ago. He's making it clear. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's hard, but it's an honor. I think, church, if we can take hold of this, it will transform the culture around here. If we serve because we get to, it's different. If we give because we get to, it's different. It changes everything. I was thinking about Liz Vice when I was writing this, and I just think, you know, Liz, there's gonna be times when you're on tour where it's hard and it's exhausting and just, it's just hard. And I think people will take advantage of you, and, but it will all change when you recognize that it's something you get to do and not something you have to do. I was thinking about my daughter. Those of you who don't know, Casey has finally gotten her visa. It's taken her six months, I think, or five months to get her visa. Um, so she's going back to Nigeria uh, in January, um, which is a hard place. And I would say to Casey, look, you're gonna have setbacks. It's gonna be brutal. It's a hard place to serve. You're gonna be in the middle of a battle. But when you can remind your own heart ah, oh, but this is what I get to do for the kingdom. It will change. It won't make it go away. It doesn't mean it's easy. Parenting is gonna be hard regardless of your disposition. It's whether or not you can come through it well or not. Going to Nigeria and, and serving is gonna be hard. It's not gonna, this makes it easy. It makes it different, right? It, it, there's life in it. Get to versus have to. Look, it could change rush hour traffic, Right, I get to drive to work. Wait, I get to go to work. I get to come home from work. I get to, I, I have a car, right? It's just, it's so, I, the more you sink into this, the more you'll start to realize, like this changes everything. God has given me all these privileges, all of these things that I get to do. 
So the apostles walk out of a beating with joy because they get to. And so the question is, what does this have to do with impact? What does this have to do with missions? And just like I've said every week, everything. This whole thing we've been talking about, it's what we get to do as a church. We get to join hands. We get to pool our resources. We get to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. We get to work with organizations like Courage Home. Courage Home is in northern India. They have rescued 185 underage girls from sex trafficking. That's our partner in northern India. How cool is that? We get to. We get to partner with Eagle Sports. And together, Eagle Sports has served, listen to this, 26,000 children through soccer and baseball and flag football. 26,000 kids have been touched through Eagle Sports. SOAR, the, the tutoring program, have tutored over 100 kids. The average kid has gone up two and a half grade levels over those years. And they have a goal to reach another 1,000 kids in the next school year alone. That's what we get to do. We get to partner with groups like that and change the trajectory of a child's life. We get to partner with the Shams. Listen to this. Shams and Barnabas together have planted churches in Cambodia, Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, Central Asia, Ethiopia, Brazil, Ghana, just to name a few. That's our partners. That's what we get to do. Robin May and the Open Network. Hundreds of businesses in all these closed countries around the world. Listen to this. They have employed 650 women who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. Isn't that amazing? They've planted over 300 churches and they have seen over 1,000 Muslims enter into a discipleship relationship. I thought it was fascinating when we talked to Brother Robbie. He said, we don't talk about conversions because we're really not called to get people to make an emotional decision. We're called to disciple people, so we count disciples. So when he gives me a number, a thousand, these are people who have gotten into a discipleship relationship around the world, a thousand Muslims. And the list goes on. This is what we get to do. It's a privilege and it's an honor. So Impact 2019 is an invitation to continue the good work that God has entrusted to us. So the band's gonna come up and Liz is gonna sing uh, that Brick by Brick song that we've been playing on that bumper all week long. And so what I'm gonna encourage you is while she sings, to just, if you haven't already, ask the Lord, how do you want me to give? Uh, the ushers are gonna have envelopes. If you didn't get an envelope or if you didn't bring your envelope that I mailed to you, you can just raise your hand and they'll hand you one. Here's the deal, you can give uh, if you know you're not ready to give this week, but you're gonna give in the weeks ahead, then just write down what your pledge is going to be. Uh, you can give checks. This is also the regular giving. We're gonna do it after Liz sings. So if, you're just, if you already came ready with your tithes, just put them in the same. But the only monies that's gonna go to impact needs to be in that impact envelope. Make sense? So there's two offerings gonna happen simultaneously. If it's not in an impact envelope, it's our regular giving. If it's an impact envelope, and we really need is both your giving and if you've decided to make a pledge, just make sure you put the pledge because this is how we know how much we can give to our ministry partners around the world, okay? So would you welcome Liz Weiss back to the stage as she sings for us? Thank you.
for a second. Thought I'd, when Liz was here last year, um, this song hadn't been recorded yet. I think if I remember right, you asked if you could do it, which is kind of funny, because it's like, no, sorry, you can't sing that song. Um, but I knew, sitting there, when she was singing the song, that I don't think she wrote it for us, but I think she wrote it for us, if you know what I mean. It was a moment where I just knew that, that song, uh, we need to hear it. And so I just encourage you to listen to the lyrics, listen to what she's saying through the song about us locking arms and doing this together. So I've been waiting for this very moment for about a year for Liz to come back and sing this song for us. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I might be annoying, but I need you guys to stand for this. Now that it's complete, I have a bigger vision of how the song can uh, happens together. So this is kind of like my icebreaker song where I get people out of their comfort zones. We love that, don't we? Um, so this might sound like a shameless plug, and yes, I went to film school, and uh, I'm utilizing my commercial making skills. But at the end of this track, you'll hear a protest. And these protesters, now this might raise the temperature in here, but I always preface, this is not a political gesture or movement. I am not of the left party or the right. As a dweller of the kingdom of God, my politics are not of this world. And I hope that they continue to be separated from this world. Um, so anywho, so a group of people decided to gather as there was a band on international airports that certain countries cannot enter into the United States. Again, some of you guys, I feel the heat rising, um, and that's okay. Might be a good thing. So they gathered, and you'll hear them chanting, these are our streets, these are our streets, these are our streets. And you cut to months later in Charlottesville when a group of people who've been told their whole lives to fear people that look like me. And they decided to gather out of fear. Now, some may say hate, but I say fear because I believe that hate is a byproduct of fear. But as a kingdom dweller, Perfect love cast out fear. But these people gathered together in fear, and they chanted, they will not replace us. They will not replace us. But what I notice when I strip the image away from the voices, you cannot tell who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And maybe that's the point. As followers of Jesus, it is so easy to draw a line and say us versus them. But we are one step away from turning our face away from the Lord at any moment. It is not a us versus them. It is a we cannot do this on our own. It is we need one another. It is God divides the wheat from the weeds because they look so similar and we make horrible judges. So what you guys are gonna do is you're gonna sing the bridge with me. It's really easy, it goes, take 
my hand. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Oh, take my hand. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Let's sing that again. Hey, take my hand. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Oh, take my hands. Let's do this together. We're in this together. And you'll know when to come in because I will start to sing it. I try to keep it simple. Plus, this is like the land of Motown, so I expect a lot. You know what I'm saying? Let's do this together. 
We're in this together. You can put some harmonies in there. Take my hands. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Oh, take my hands. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Oh, take my hands. Let's do this together. We're in this together. We got it, we will go. We're going to take the offering now. Uh, we don't usually do that at the end, but we are today. And we're going to sing together as we do that. Um, and again, if you're looking to give to Impact, just make sure it's in one of those Impact envelopes so that we know. And uh, let me just pray for us. Lord, I pray uh, that you would surprise us. I pray that it would be more than we can ask, think, or imagine so that we can just continue to bless uh, the community outside of these walls so that we can just... Uh, lock arms with these partners here in Detroit, but really around the world, continue to plant churches and do the good work that you have called us to, that we get to do, not because we have to. I pray that we not give out of compulsion, but we give out of privilege, out of beauty, and not out of duty. Lord, I pray that this mindset of beauty, not duty, get to, not have to, would just become part of our culture, that there would be a joy that permeates everything we do around here from just everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, if you want to come, that'd be great. We're going to sing together.
It's your breath and our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath and our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only.
be all in. Let's do this together, huh? Hey, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, to come down. I was talking to Mel right before the service, and she told me about uh, a woman that came into pre-service prayer and said that she was scheduled for knee surgery, but she went in, and when they uh, examined her, she didn't need knee surgery. So obviously, the Lord still moves. So we don't know how that works, but we know that we're called to pray for you. So if you have a physical need, a spiritual need, if you have a need at all, we have some very gifted people that would love to just be with you and pray down here. So just know that that's an invitation for you. God bless you. Let's be all in and let's do this together. Amen, church? Let's do it.